Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast Clickbait, Facebook shares soaring as Instagram's new e-commerce feature is expected to bring in billions for the social giant. We've got all the details. Plus, President Trump threatening to shut down the U.S.-Mexico border, and it could have a huge impact on a number of stocks you own. We'll tell you what they are. But we start off with the airlines going up, up, and away. Today, as Delta raises its first quarter earnings guidance, lifting the entire space along with it. The airlines and transports taking off in just the past week. So is this group signaling the all-clear for the broader markets? Guy Adami. Hi, Melms. Well, I don't know if it's signaling the all-clear for the broader markets, but it's signaling the all-clear for the airlines now. Truth be told, and congrats to Tim and Karen. They've been on this. We talked about this now for the last few weeks. We specifically talked about it when the Boeing news was at its worst on a day when the airlines were all up anywhere from 25 to 4%. We said that's a great tell. We actually mentioned Southwest Air, but we talked about Delta in terms of valuation. And now these things are starting to come to fruition. You'll say, well, have they run too far too fast? I would say no. I still think there's significant room to the upside. And the point of Delta, I mean, there's no reason why we can't see it back to the highs we made a few months ago, which I think is around $60 or so. So I do think there's further room, but I don't think it's making a statement as to what the broader market can do. So for Delta, first of all, I appreciate the, the compliment, Guy, but I, I have to say that Delta, it's not like it's been the greatest trade in the world over the last six months. And so, in fact, you could look at the airlines and say over the last five years or certainly four and a half since they re-rated from those awful levels to a place where people think they're running their businesses differently, that it's been a sideways trade and, and there haven't been absolute returns. There's been enormous opportunities to trade and make money. And I think at the bottom of the range, Delta which is now only 5% off the bottom of the range, I think there's an enormous opportunity. Their customary first quarter update. So what did they tell you? They told you revenue for available seat miles is going to be about 1%, and that's against um, available seat miles growth of about 5%. So basically, this is very positive. It's growing faster uh, than the cost side of the business, which is good. They've redone their deal with Delta, uh, sorry, with American Express. They are Delta. And and that's a very top-line accretive and probably even bottom-line accretive deal for them. And I think people are very relieved to hear that. So this is great news. And again, this is a customary update where I think people tend to get too negative on airlines and that's where they were. Is there a true extrapolation to the rest of the sector or is this Delta specific? I hope that it's not just Delta specific. I mean, I think they're a great operating team, so it could be just them. But I think for costs, that should hopefully bode well. We'll have United Airlines later in the month and uh, American Airlines, I think, uh, April 25th. Hopefully for them, and it's good news, too. I think the American Express portion is obviously specific to Delta. But even with this move here, which is a really big move for Delta, the stock is not expensive. I know they're obviously cyclical businesses, so they shouldn't get anywhere near market multiple. But, you know, at this, 
At this price, I think there's more upside. I would not be inclined to be a seller today. You know, interestingly, you asked about the broader market. You know, obviously, there's those Dow theorists, right? And we yeah. could look at the IYT. That's the ETF that tracks the uh, Dow transportation ETF. And it really has been an underperformer. Um, obviously, the airlines have lagged. There's been some, the rails have done pretty well. Uh, we know that FedEx and UPS have not. You know, there's been a lot of rotation of late. The IYT just rallied from, I think, about 180 to 190 in a straight line over the last week and a half. Interestingly enough, closed down today. We have a one-year chart. It also actually broke above a downtrend that's been in place from the highs uh, earlier in the year. This would be something that if it was able to kind of get through, we were able to see some of the other names act pretty well. Um, you may have some room to the upside. That being said, if it were to fail right here, there'd be a pretty nasty failure, especially on some fundamental news. I just mentioned that obviously Delta opened up and got better throughout the day, and I think that's actually very good. Uh, United didn't trade so well. Uh, American didn't trade so well. Southwest didn't trade so well. And it brings me back to last week. Remember when we had good news out of some of the home builders, Lennar gapped up to multi-month highs, that sort of thing. Gave it all back a couple of days. Delta didn't give me any sense for that today, but that would be something to keep an eye on over the course of the week. Well, the thing that happened today as well is WTI and Brent hitting their 2019 highs. Yeah. And so you got to wonder at what point, if there is a point in which fuel costs actually hurt the airlines at this, you know, at well, 62 bucks on WTI. But they gave some insight into that. And, and they basically, you know, it looks like it's, it's effectively neutral and some of it's offset even by some FX. So um, I, I think if you look at the transports, dance, it's a good point. I mean, ultimately, you know, you've had per certain parts of, of the IYT or certain parts of the sector that have done very well. The airlines, frankly, have lagged. Um, and then FedEx, the last two times they've given us updates, not so good. Yeah. Um, right, and I think that's really above, holding it down. The stock is above where it was FedEx when they announced that that, that miss. The last, the last, as opposed miss, to the last, the right, miss. as opposed to two misses ago, was you know uh, 181 or yeah. so, and then they announced a miss, it went down to 175, so it's well above that now. So I, I still think FedEx is great here. So me uh, too. Yeah, that to me is more telling of the market than the broad than the than the airlines. The economy, you mean? Yes, FedEx. Yes. I think if it's a closer proxy to the economy than the airlines. Well, it's interesting because FedEx probably topped out a year and a half ago, and you know the stock's down until recently, 34 or so percent from its all-time high. With the stock market, in terms of the S&P, is only four percent off its all-time high. So I'm not. Maybe FedEx is just losing the battle to Am. You know, maybe FedEx just out FedEx themselves. Maybe Amazon is catching up. And maybe their world, you know, maybe they're just not a barometer for the economy like they were two years ago. I think that's, I think you better hope that's the case. Well, they because still have all the TNT. Their acquisition was terrible. It's, it's really. The cyber attack, it really hit them very hard. Right, they had some management changes. TNT's been bad. I feel like, yeah, this might be a UPS guy talking about yes, Facebook. Yes, you're so talking about UPS. Around. You know. <laughs> and I'm very, yes, I had a great day. Very there. loyal. I wore shorts. And I'm sure at some point today we'll get the footage of it. Or I we'll hope put not. It, <laughs> I mean, you can't unsee certain things, so, you know, we might save the viewers some pain. And Unfortunately, I'll just go back to my Twitter feed. And so what is, what is a good read on the economy, if not the transports as a whole? I mean, what should replace that Can I add that something that, I, you know... Okay. I I thought the way the banks acted to the better data. I'm just saying it was phenomenal. I mean, when yes, you look at it, it, no, no, when you look at JP oh, Morgan, wait, oh, they acted I, so bad man. when we were in like recession, uh, recession, like alarm territory a couple a weeks coming? ago. No, <laughs> but JP Morgan went, <laughs> went back from 98, oh, there you, you know, 98 nice to like 105, like, like that, that, with just two days of saying, okay. And Tim's been saying this that maybe the data in Asia is bottoming out, and that will kind of find its way into emerging markets and then maybe we're never we were never so bad here we were never on the brink of a recession you know that's how the bank should act if that is the kind of underlying thought here and they did now they've not made back all the losses over the last few weeks but no, it was a really sharp 
snapback. Is okay, what you're and I, I appreciate that, yeah. that that kind of reflective look upon banks. That's that's thoughtful, <laughs> and and it always is out of Dan. But but I think if you look at the yield curve, you actually had this case where um, the five-year part of the curve, folks. If there's a little trade school, I mean, this is typically the belly of the curve is where you get really the most assumptions on growth, and the five-year was the part that became so overbought, um, and then you went basically from 211 up to 232 or something like that. Back in other words, it took a lot of it back. I think bonds were just overbought. Yields were overly low, and I don't think it was reminiscent of what was going on. I think the market also just flips out on the yield curve as it relates to banks, even though that's really not their business. They're not in a giant yield curve trade. And the net interest margin, that's only half of their business, right? So the perception was that uh, they're not going to make any money, right? That the, the margin's going to go to zero, and the economy's terrible. And I mean, it was absurd, and it's not like they're trading at a giant growth multiple in the first place. Unless people are perceiving the yield curve as a read on, on economic. economic growth, in which case maybe that correlation But that's exactly, is there. that's why I brought them up. I mean, like, like so, so to me, the underperformance for a better part of the last couple months um, relative to a market that's just ripping, you know, they really had been going sideways. And a lot of that is because the underlying fears of slowing global, global growth and the yeah. heightened chance of a recession here in the U.S. And they acted appropriately in the last week when you have some of those fears allayed a little bit. But if I had to play you, I, I would actually say I would be disappointed that, <laughs> no, but the banks weren't rallying when, when rates, that much when rates were at three and a quarter. And I I have to you have to acknowledge the trend on rates is lower. It's not higher. Yeah. Um, and if that's the environment that's the, the indictment of the economy, so be it. All right, let's get to a developing story now at the U.S.-Mexico border. The significant market disruption we could see if President Trump follows through on a threat to shut down that border. Today, the president saying he is taking a wait-and-see approach, but says, quote, we're ready to close it if Mexico doesn't do more to stem the tide of migrants trying to cross into the United States. Eamon Javers live at the White House with the very latest. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, the president also said today that he values security over trade, so he's willing to close the border. Not clear whether he's actually going to follow through on this potential threat here, but what is clear is we're having a little bit of a dispute open up here this afternoon between the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Larry Kudlow, the National Economic Council Director here at the White House. Kudlow earlier today, we'll start with his comment. He talked to Sarah Eisen of CNBC after a U.S. Chamber of Commerce event, and he suggested that there might be a way for the administration to look for a work around if the president does close the border with Mexico, finding some way for commerce to carry on even as the border was sealed. Here's what Larry Kudlow said. We're watching it and looking for ways to allow the freight passage, some people call it truck roads, and there are ways you can do that, which would um, ameliorate the, uh, the breakdown in supply chains. But U.S. Chamber of Commerce officials held a conference call this afternoon. They say they're not in love with that idea. They suggest there's still uh, negative economic consequences, even if that is tried. It, anything that allowed goods to traverse the border but not people and workforce uh, could have a problem. They say uh, there are serious questions about just how such a proposal would even be implemented in the first place. And they pointed to an interesting statistic of the last time there was a slowdown at the border. After 9-11, President Bush ordered intensive security on the Mexican-U.S. border. Uh, and at that time, uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce officials say that by September 13th, Daimler Chrysler was already announcing one of its plants in the U.S. would close for lack of parts. So they're saying that there's a very quick turnaround time here with these parts coming in and the supply chain uh, being as quick as it is these days uh, that you can see an effect within days uh, inside the United States of any closure at the border. 
It did sound, Eamon, um, from the president today at that uh, pool spray when he was meeting with the NATO secretary general that he may be just sort of jawboning, uh, threatening the closure of the border uh, in, in order to force Mexico to be tougher on the on the flow of migrants, which yeah, he says a, it has been. That's a pretty good guess, right? I mean, the, this is a president who likes to jawbone and he likes to look for leverage points that he has in any negotiation. And a lot of uh, foreign policy to this president is a negotiation. He's looking for a better deal, he says. Uh, and I think if you look at those comments, there was this moment where the president said the Mexicans are doing much better in terms of apprehending uh, migrants who are coming to the United States. Uh, that seems to leave the president a little bit of an out, right? I mean, he could say, uh, look, the Mexican government has done really well this week, and therefore we're not moving ahead with this. Uh, but at the same time, he's saying he's willing to 100 percent close the border uh, and he pr prioritizes security over trade. So, you know, pick your pick your tea leaf there, which one you want to read. Yep. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers at the White House. Now, some of the stocks with the most revenue exposure to Mexico include names like Alaska Air, American Tower, Pepsi, Norfolk Southern. So how should you trade these stocks? And it was telling to see some of these stocks and how they reacted in the markets in the past couple of days. Kansas City Southern was the first one right. that I went to. It saw the biggest impact or had an outsized impact when there were threats that NAFTA would be torn up. Um, Kansas City Southern gets about 30 percent of its revenues from goods crossing uh, the U.S.-Mexico border. And the stock is basically is up on the past two days. Yeah. It's down about a percent in today's session. So. It's interesting. Down, yeah, to your point, eight-tenths of a percent today. I mean, this is a stock that, I'm not saying people panic, but at the height of all this rhetoric, I mean, here's a stock that traded down to $85 and traded evaluations that probably, I won't say it will never see again, but it hadn't probably seen in their history. With that said, now's the point where people probably should be selling this stock because, quite frankly, we're up against levels we saw in September when coming into an earnings release. So I think you have an opportunity to be taking profits in these names ahead of rhetoric that could actually intensify. Yeah, I look at the Mexican peso, too. I look at the cross of the Mexican Mexican U.S. dollar and at 19 and a quarter, roughly. I mean, we've been very range bound. If anything, to me, I think there's still a lot of negative news priced into this. Between um, much of the move, you want to get really into your FX you know, kind of strategy, though, it was related to what happened to oil. And, and Mexico hasn't taken a lot of that back since oil recovered. I think it's a good trade. I, I I agree with him. The rhetoric is, first of all, it's a ridiculous policy, right? And I think he is giving himself an out. He judges himself by the stock market. If we were to see this kind of thing happen, right, to have no real, um, no real time to, to even try adjust. to adjust your, your supply chain, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So I think it trading off a lot, if anything trades off a lot, it's an opportunity to buy because I just absolutely can't see. Even Mitch McConnell is coming out yep. saying, you know... It would be catastrophic. Catastrophic, so, so, right? So, and them trying to find a way around their own policy. I mean, Larry's talking about, you know, trying to find a way around that policy. It's ridiculous. It's, well, I, I so you could have said the same thing in November and December about a government shutdown, and Mitch McConnell was saying the same thing. I don't agree. No. We've seen many, many government shutdowns. Well, okay, Karen, but what I'm saying is, okay, it's like Karen, if you think about what the potential adverse effects to our economic situation right here, they're pretty similar, okay? And, and they're, they're things that logically don't make any sort of sense. And we can look back now to a few months ago and say that was actually a really stupid... But you think uh, the government shutdown is equivalent to shutting down the entire U.S.-Mexico border? What I'm saying is it has the potential to actually, whatever momentum that, that these guys think that we have, you know what I mean, um, it has the potential to slow that momentum. It has the potential to shave off basis points from GDP. Um, it has the potential to slow a lot of things down. Don't forget that USMCA thingamajiggy, not even ratified.
ratified yet. You know, so it's a lot of rhetoric right now. But you would have thought that that they would have, you know, considered all of that sort of stuff into the December 21st closure. And they still shut the government down for 35 days. And it still had an adverse effect on our economic growth here. And we're still recovering from it a little bit. So I think that, you know, I think you have to take them at their word. And it it could be a, a real bad thing to happen mid-year this year. Mr. Tegas is saying $1.2 billion of daily economic activity would grind to a halt should the border be closed. Then there's on top of that, and you mentioned the, the passage of USMCA, yeah, which is not a foregone conclusion at all. There are potential auto tariffs, right, with Europe. I mean, there are a lot of other trade wars brewing. And what can all these things do collectively to economic growth? Yeah, I, well, I agree. I, I don't think that the market's pressing in any of that. Um, so let's be clear. The market is not even really staring down the barrel of auto tariffs. This is a market that's, you know, 2 percent off its all time highs and, and really has taken back the concept that we don't believe this is going to happen, that it's jawboning. So, yes, if it does happen, I think there's a substantial impact. Here's a conspiracy theory. Oh, I, I, love think Guy, I, I think Guy Adami will enjoy this. <laughs> Interesting how Larry Kudlow is, is OK with a 50 basis point cut on the Fed to make sure that economic growth can continue what are you tr- in the you- face of all of these potential ah, obstacles. So I, I look at, but then today he backtracked. Didn't well, he say he was, he was misquoted? We're going to have to pull the tape and see pull what it. he actually said. I was sitting on you set sitting, with Larry. You were sitting there, you we asked him about a 50 basis point cut. So he's so paving the way. Can for I this. can I play dumb here? So you're sure. basically saying that let me connect the dots that, that he's yeah. ready to do what it has to be done on the border. Close it up. Do what we have to do. And we've got the Fed behind us Fed's cutting 50. How's that? Self-styled free trader. Coming up. (laughs) Facebook on fire. That stock soaring more than 3% after one analyst said its new Instagram feature could be a major disruptor in the e-commerce space. Plus, Lyft getting a flat today as a newly public company fails to impress investors. So what is really driving the stock? The traders have got some clues. And later, a big week for Elon Musk as delivery numbers for Tesla's first quarter due out any minute. And Elon Musk is set to go head-to-head with uh, the courts and the SEC later this week will tell you what to expect. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is a big week for Elon Musk with the CEO going head-to-head with the SEC. This is investors await Tesla's delivery numbers expected any time now. Phil LeBeau is live in Chicago. Hey, Phil. Hi, Melissa. And, you know, when we're waiting for those uh, delivery numbers, it's important to point out that really what the market is focused on is Model 3. The overall number, I think people expect basically 20,000 deliveries combined between the Model S and X. But what happens with Model 3 deliveries? And we're showing you here how it has grown quarter over quarter over the last five quarters. Now, nobody expects them to hit 63,000 again for the first quarter. The estimate is basically going to be closer to 55, 56,000. If it's in that area, I think we might see a bit of a relief rally for shares of Tesla, which, by the way, take a look at those shares. They have come back a little bit from where they were, what, just a few days ago when they were down in that 265 to 268 range. And don't forget, as you mentioned at the top, this is a big week for Tesla and for CEO Elon Musk. Remember, his 
his attorneys will be in court on Thursday in New York battling it out with the attorneys for the SEC. Remember, the SEC wants Elon Musk to be held in contempt of court for his use of social media, specifically what he has tweeted out uh, since he signed that SEC uh, agreement that he would have all of his social media Uh, communications monitored and approved by somebody within the company. So over the next three days, will tell us a lot uh, in terms of what happens for Tesla. I'm not sure the judge is going to rule right away, but uh, we're in sort of one of those critical periods where people want to get a better sense of not only what's happening with production deliveries, but also with Elon Musk and his leadership there. Right. And again, with the delivery numbers, Phil, technically the company does it three business days, I believe, from the end of the quarter. So basically it's got to happen sometime between now and, and tomorrow. Right. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, technically, could they wait until after the bell tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. they could. Um, you know, typically we see it on the second day after the end of the uh, previous quarter. So that's why a lot of us have been expecting that it might be sometime today. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau you bet. in Chicago. All right. So, you know, Tesla puts up these numbers. Let's say if Tesla hits 55 or 56 Model 3s. Do we really care what the court says on Friday? Yeah, and it's I know I, I'm not saying I know what Tim is going to say, but he's going to say, is it about deliveries? And he's probably right. It probably isn't about deliveries anymore. Oh, it's a car company now? See? I mean, that. But, but let's just play the game out. And to your point, since December, when this was a $375 stock, it has made a series of lower lows and lower highs, culminating with the low we recently saw, which happens to be the same low we saw in October. I mentioned that. Because after making tremendous double tops at 375, there's a very good chance we just put in a double bottom. Now, I'm not saying you got to race out and buy it now, but there's a very good chance that the bottom was put in the same low we had in October. So I don't know if it matters at this point, but this stock has been in a very defined trading range now for the last couple of years, and you're probably at the lower so end. So you just said a very good chance. If you look at that series of lower lows since 375, there's actually a far better chance that it fails right here, guy, and retests the levels it, it was could, back Dan. there. But you were just saying, like, a very good chance. There's also a very uh, – listen, you know, at 260, it was a bad press. We all talked about it on the desk, you know, because we know we had to wait for this news, and we don't know what the story is with, with the must thing. I think it's all about deliveries. I think if they disappoint there, you're going to be on your way back to 260. But again, is it a bad press there on the short side? I just don't know. But it's probably not a great idea to buy it for a breakout right here when the news is not likely to get better soon. Okay, so reiterating my view, I'm not sure that the share price means anything. Um, because I don't think the share price reflects the cash position of the company. I don't think it reflects really fundamentals of the company. So just to be clear, but uh, I do think that actually you could see a little bit of a pop in the stock. I actually think that the the next move could be a bit higher. And so if you want to be tactical on this, I actually think there could be, I don't know anything, there could be some news on the SEC. I think there could be some general positive stuff on deliveries. Then I think there's nothing left. I mean, frankly, I I would be waiting for the the, the Q1, which comes out somewhere in the middle of May, and that's going to tell you how bad this balance sheet looks in the first quarter. To me, this is really more of a demand, lack of demand story. I know we presume there to be a ton of demand, but, um, uh, you know, we know free cash flow is a very big issue in the first quarter. We know that they've cut CapEx. We know that there's all kinds of things. What have they cut? What have they put back in? Bottom line, it's a company that's scrambling to make cash payments. That's undeniable. Yeah, that's the part that I really focus on, scrambling to make cash payments. And you have, I mean, I I was so amazed by the 10K where they talked about the retail, right, their retail stores and how important that was. Ten days later, not so important anymore. That's a very big change. And then a few days after that, you know what? It's sort of important. So we're, so we're going to have some. some. I mean, that, that make, would make me uncomfortable as a long-term holder about 
you know, just sort of they're scrambling around and what is the long-term plan and they just seem to be only be able to focus on fires right now. For more on Tesla and the autos, you can head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Someone help me. I have a flat tire. Lyft shares have caught a flat. And there's something happening in the stock that could point to more pain. We'll break it down. Plus, one marijuana skeptic says there's a major canary in the cannabis space. He'll tell us what that is and why investors should just say no to the pot trade. More Fast Money still ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook shares soaring today as Deutsche Bank predicted an upcoming $10 billion in revenue. Uh, that's right, $10 billion for the tech giant in 2021. This call of the day hinges on Instagram's new checkout feature, allowing users to shop and buy clothes directly from brands within the app. This is the online retail space booms. Check out this chart, courtesy of Bespoke, showing for the first time ever, online retailers made up a bigger share of sales than brick and mortar retailers in the month of February. So what does this all mean? For the retail space. Dan, what do you think? Well, I think it's fantastic just focusing on Facebook for a second here. Again, I mean, I think this is great for retailers. It's just another outlet um, to kind of display their wares and kind of uh, not have to focus as much on the bricks and mortar stuff. When you think about Facebook, by 2021, they're expected to have a billion dollars in sales. Um, that is not immaterial. If they were to do $10 billion, it's probably very high margin and it probably opens up a whole host of other things for them. And, and I think it was really interesting how the stock caught a bid today. So, <laughs> I don't think it's something where you have to worry like when Amazon is opening, you know, stores. It's not right. it doesn't have that sort of adverse effect. Karen? Yeah, I think it's a very positive for Facebook. If you look, Facebook is is now it's up, I don't know, 33 percent for the year. So there was that big whoosh down when it went from like 210 to about here. And now it's come back all the way. And I still think it's not expensive here. If you think there'll be regulation that will really impede their growth, okay, then I get the, the, you know, the less optimistic story. But 
you can make an argument that regulation could help them also give them some clarity they won't be the bad guy anymore right right i think that's what they're trying to do and if it's federal so, that's much better than a patchwork of 50 right. different states having 50 so different sets of regulations this also i mean if you throw 10 billion dollars of revenue tied to e-commerce through the site I mean, that's diversifying yeah. their revenue. I mean, in terms of away right. from the revenue dependent on uh, data and uh -huh. advertising and into another field, which would, I would think, be good. Well, and, and they now dollars. have different, you know, call it different leverageable data that improves ad targeting at a time when if, you, if you're worried about, you know, just, just how sustainable their former platform is because of all the other negatives dynamics, then it's great news. We've been talking about the, the impact of Instagram or the potential of Instagram for a long time. And th this is... This is probably better than what people expected. I mean, this is this is a real this is material. One thing I would look at just to play the, since we've talked it to death, but you look at the technicals. I mean, this stock made an all-time high. I think back in July, two ten whereabouts. We traded down to one twenty-five. So the levels we're seeing now are effectively a fifty percent retracement of that entire move. So maybe it's gotten a bit ahead of itself. Valuation compelling, and you know what? Last quarter was outstanding. But maybe the stock's going too far too fast maybe see a pullback here. All right. Well, as e-commerce booms, options traders are betting against the traditional retail space. So, Dan, why don't you head over to the plasma break it down for us. Yeah, let's talk about the XRT. That's the ETF that tracks the uh, S&P retail sector here. Um, put volume was three times that of calls today. And there was one trade that caught my eye when the XRT was trading about 45 bucks. Uh, there was a buyer of 4,000 of the June 44-41 call spreads, paying about 70 cents for those. Those break even at 43 3.30, down about 3.7%, and their max gain of $2.30 on that put spread down at 41 on June expiration. It's down about 9% from the current levels. Um, you know, we talk about the sector rotations that we've seen in the market, a market that is the S&P 500 is up 14% year to date. The XRT has really lagged that, um, and it's actually lagged it off of the bottom, and it's still about 12-13% uh, from its 52-week highs. Um, look at this really steady downtrend that the XRT has been in. It's made a series of higher highs, and it's really consolidated a good bit over the last two months here, really uh, diverging from the S&P, which is obviously now just 2% or 2.5% from its 52-week highs here. I want to make one other point looking at this five-year chart you see a lot of sideways action here and look how kind of steep this decline is from that 2018 high and when you took it look at this 38 low from Christmas time it goes all the way back a few years here so I see a big air pocket between now and then June expiration why would someone buy this put spread maybe they're looking to get um, a bit of those uh, earnings that we're gonna get in May remember a lot of the retailers uh, reported in a little bit later cycle all right, thanks for that, Dan. For more Options Action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, the check engine light is on for Lyft as the ride-hailing giant is a major letdown after its IPO. We'll tell you what could be driving the move. Plus, Bitcoin coming into full bloom as a crypto soaring more than 15% today. Is its long national nightmare over? We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lyft getting a flat as the stock fails to impress Wall Street. Wow. Leslie Paker is back at headquarters with all the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. I like that pun. A lot of market participants may speculate that today's closed unchanged is the result of underwriter forces helping support that stock higher. But I'm actually told by a source that today's moves are the result of natural buying and selling and not the stabilization by the underwriter. Now, in all deals, the underwriters sell 115% of the shares they've announced, making them effectively short the stock 
but not in a bearish sense. They then have the ability to close their short through the open market, which can help support or stabilize the stock. Now, it's harder to make an impact in stabilizing a stock when volumes are high and lifts. Volume has been very elevated every trading day since its IPO. Once liquidity dries up a bit more, they could have more firepower to either stabilize the stock or exercise the overallotment or green shoe if the stock gets back above that IPO price. Now, another interesting aspect of today's trading is that it's settlement date for the deal. That means the shares are finally distributed and the IPO will actually be delivered to the investors so they can officially lend them out to other investors to borrow and sell short. Sources tell me that there's been high demand to short lift, which may be contributing to some of the bearishness we've seen in the last few days. And recent analyst reports aren't helping either. Seaport Global putting out a note this morning indicating lift coverage with a sell rating and a price target that implies about 40 percent downside. The firm saying that to justify Lyft's current valuations, investor would need to believe that enough people would opt out of car ownership to solely rely on ride sharing. Melissa. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. Uh, Dan, what'd you make of the uh, action list? So, uh, listen, I-, I see no reason to believe that this deal wasn't really well allocated to the tune of like two thirds of this 32 million share deal on Friday. So, meeting in very good Went to hands. In very good, in very good institutions. So, the fact of the matter is, it's traded 130 million shares over the last three trading days. When I look at see who's traded the most shares, it's Virtu. That is the high frequency trading thing. I think it's become a great trading vehicle in a very short period of time because it's a very unique sort of offering. I'd also make the point that, you know, Leslie just talked about Seaport Security. I don't even know who these guys are. In about three weeks, all the underwriters are going to come out with some very yeah. detailed notes, okay? This deal also priced on the last day of Q1. We're going to see this company report at some point, maybe late April or early May, okay, right. after we've gotten those initiations, and you're going to get a lot more support there. I mean, so I, I just look at this and say, if this company, if they come out and analysts kind of... Um, are supportive, and then we have a good Q1 right out of the gate. Then you have the exercise of this green shoe. This is going to set up as an epic, epic short squeeze. And when you think about really? where that short, um, where that short or borrow is right now, people well, are not going to be well, able to hang on to that for too long. Yeah, I mean, right. Settlement so. date is today, so now the shares are available to be right. to be lent out. So right. we're in this sort of we've been in this period in the past mm. couple of trading sessions where it's been sort of a a, a, a vacuum. It's been an inefficient period for the stock in that there's no shorting, there's no options listed yet on Thursday. Lift. Thursday it'll okay, come, so they've expedited yeah. that because of the size of this Basically offering. been amateur hour yeah. for three days. Ba- basically. So is this yeah. a true tell in terms of how this thing is going to trade? If this is quote-unquote amateur, however you want to put it, the most inefficient period of a stock in a stock's trading life. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I mean, to me, it's, it's interesting. We've seen a bunch of negative analysts, very yes. few, not even one positive. Now, maybe this is everyone who wasn't in on the right. offer. And so mm-hmm. they're like, okay, forget it. It was terrible. I don't know uh, that I, I hear you. I absolutely see the underwriters. Of course, they want to support it. Remember how enthusiastic everyone was about Blue Apron um, there when they could finally, obviously it's a totally different scale, but do you, are you implying that you think the first quarter is going to be good? No, well, I, I, it's super I suspect it's going to be good. This company just went on the road just two weeks ago and talked to investors, you know what I mean, Talk in, and giving some form of guidance about their business. So I would not expect when they report their first quarter out of the gate that there's a disappointment there. Coming up, pharmacy stocks looking sick as Walgreens was, has its worst day in nearly five years. We'll tell you how much worse it could get. Hmm. Also, just say no. One pot critic says there's a canary in the cannabis space that could make the entire pot trade a no-touch. He'll be here with Fast Money Return.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Walgreens, a major buzzkill today, seeing its worst session since 2014 after disappointing earnings. That stock, the worst performer in the Dow this year by a lot. That's not the only drugstore in the dumps this year. CVS and Rite Aid also getting crushed. Karen? They had a lot of problems. They took down their full-year guidance. Oh, yeah. I mean, they took it down a lot. Yeah. Revenue from going from up 7 to 12 to flat. That is a really an enormous miss. This was really bad on so many fronts. Front of the store was bad, as, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon pressures. Um, you don't want to really have big exposure in England right now. They have a, a pretty meaningful overseas business, not just England. That was bad. Um, pr- you know, prescription uh, pr- pricing pressure. It doesn't, doesn't sound to me like they have a lot of clarity on when things will get better either. Oh, also, I forgot the Rite Aid part of it as well. So a lot of things going wrong here. It is really cheap, but I, I wouldn't buy it here. I'd let it shake out a little bit more. I, I, it's really cheap, but it should be cheap. A lot of things are going wrong. I, you know, so the 280 basis points of margin pressure on pharmacies, it also, it's not just those guys. I mean, look at Kroger, look at Walmart, and, and I think you're going to have more margin pressure for companies that didn't need it, uh, guys that I think are struggling in the consumables business. So to me, I, I'll read this across the other guys that are playing in this space, and I don't, I don't like this news at all. Yeah, it's interesting they mentioned specifically generic deflation. So, again, pr- pricing pressure on prescription drugs. So the flip side of lowering drug costs is hurt for some of these uh, tremendously so. And so you want so where can it go down to? Like where does it stop? And if you look where it topped out at, sort of late 06, early 07, it was fifty dollars. It just happened to be fifty dollars, not because that's some magic number, but that's where it found resistance. That's where it will find support, and it feels like it's headed there. As much as you like to think today is a flush down almost thirteen percent, I think there's further room to the downside. All right, coming up, Bitcoin going wild overnight, soaring to its highest level since November. We'll tell you what's behind that move, plus marijuana madness taking over the nation, but one cannabis skeptic says, just say no. He'll tell us what has him so worried. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert for you. The cryptocurrency blooming overnight, soaring more than 15 percent, topping 5,000 for the first time since November. The move was so exciting that we actually decided to bring back the Bitcoin. Oh, oh wow. yeah. It's At going down as we speak. <laughs> 4,800 now. Um, so the question is, is this rally for real? Is the long winter over for Bitcoin? Yeah, I've spoken to a couple funds over the last couple of days. And if you're a believer in the long term, wherever this is going, there's going to be at least a conduit. and It's going to be Bitcoin. So uh, I don't know where we are in, in, the, uh, in the pricing near term to medium term, but there's no question that Bitcoin is around to stay. What's more impressive is the fact that it's now through the 200-day for the first time since May of 2018. So this is a real move relative to where it's traded. I'm not going to speculate on tomorrow, but this is substantial. Yeah, really interesting, though. I mean, we haven't talked about it in a while. Our, our ticker went away or whatever we call bug, it, our bug. You know, bug. Um, Sentiment got really, really bad in this thing. And, you know, I think about it from the first time we started focusing on, on this desk. I think it was 1500 1700 that sort of thing. It's still well above that, and it's traded pretty well this year. Yeah, you're still a holder, huh? I'm still a holder of that and a bunch of different currencies. I mean, I think that, you know, there's just sort of lack of sellers. Right. And it starts to get a little bit of momentum and and so it can move a lot. Right. Without a lot of buying behind it. Well, from crypto to pot, it's logical, right? Marijuana madness is taking the nation by storm. But our next guest isn't buying into this hype. He's calling one company a cautionary tale for the cannabis space in a new article titled Cannabis Retailer MedMen's 
financial troubles are a warning for the marijuana industry. Alex Berenson, former New York Times reporter and author of Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness and Violence. Alex makes the case against the company in this. And you can find this article on CNBC.com, by the way. Alex, welcome to the show. Most of the time um, for having me. MedMen is, is, is small compared to a lot of the other publicly traded companies that we talk about here on CNBC, but it's very high profile. It's got storefronts on swanky avenues here in New York City, it's, et cetera. Um, you say they're losing money at a, at a super fast clip. Isn't that the price of doing business in a fast-growing industry? Well, I mean, I thought this was a plant that you could sell for 40 or 50 or $100 an ounce, uh, you know, a plant product, that the margins on it should be very high. Uh, MedMen is important both because it is the highest-profile cannabis retailer in the U.S. and because it's had this aggressive and explicit strategy to try to market to, uh, to new users, to people who haven't used. And so, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book about the problems with marijuana, the health problems, which is, which is in some ways separate from this. So I, obviously I don't particularly believe in legalization and I'm explicit about that and people should know that. But I think the issues around whether or not companies are gonna be able to make money in the space is, is a very interesting and important one and obviously one that your viewers are gonna be interested in. One point that you do make in the article, and I know that there are going to be a lot of people who who don't want to read what you have to say and, and they don't believe what you're saying because they think they just have an ax to grind. But there is one important point in the article, at least, and that is that one of the biggest sources of competition is the black market. Yes. And I bring that up because just this morning, Acreage CEO uh, on Squawk Box had said that he thinks the biggest competition is actually the black market. I mean, legal companies like a MedMen or anybody else in the space, Acreage, for instance, they are competing against a black market, which in which you don't have to pay ta- users don't pay taxes. There's no cost no to, licensing, no, no licensing. It's all the right. regulatory over overhead that other companies have to pay for. Yes. Um, and so, so when you legalize, you really have two choices. You can do it the sort of the Colorado and Oregon way, which is a lot of entry, prices go down, it's pretty easy to open dispensaries. Now, MedMen actually has avoided those markets. They've wanted to be in higher regulatory, higher cost markets. But the problem with that seems to be that the black market remains unregulated. And so you have this perverse uh, situation happening in California where some of the legal dispensary owners and the regulators are saying, we need more law enforcement against the people who are selling this, which... Uh, you know, against the people who are selling it in the black market, um, which, by the way, is not going to endear MedMen or other companies that are in the legal space to the heaviest users of this product. So there's all, there, there's just all kinds of very interesting dynamics that go on when you legalize a substance that's been illegal for so long. And I think investors haven't paid any attention to that. And I think they also haven't paid any attention to the psychosis risk, which is, uh, in other words, and let's put aside the medical issue, that's a real legal issue. Um, and I've said this on CNBC before, I think there's a real potential for you know, industry, I don't want to say destroying, but industry damaging lawsuits if people become psychotic and you can connect it to a specific uh, you know, store's product. So, so Alex, um, even aside the psychosis issue, I, I think when we're talking about this industry, we're talking about a growth sector of any kind where capital is also very much constrained. Yes. Um, so the things that you're talking about, I, I think, are not big surprises to people. But I think you're you're highlighting MedMen, and I think there's a lot of people that have been critical of this company, yes. particularly not just the concept of people. But I, I'll leave them alone. Um, are you concerned about demand overall? In other words, it sounds to me like because everything that that you're saying, I think, is fundamental to companies that are in a growth sector, which, by the way, is constrained. They can't raise debt. 
Um, but do I hear you saying, I don't even think that there's really the kind of demand outside of that? I mean, I think that's a really, really good question, too. If you look at the number of new users per year, and there's, you know, there's federal surveys on this, it hasn't actually risen as much as you might expect. What's happened is that demand has become more concentrated. And, you know, just talking to people who use, and obviously a lot of users have reached out to me since the book came out, there's a lot of people who use this drug once or a handful of times and don't like the experience they have. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there are some people who really love it and who get very into it. But there are people out there. It's not like alcohol. People, there's casual users who don't appreciate it. Let me ask you, do you extrapolate anything from what happened in New Jersey a uh, week or two ago? So I think that's another really good point. The, the companies and I think investors have been counting on recreational legalization to spread very quickly. Um, in part because of what's happened in California where there's this issue with how much tax revenue has been raised, which has been way low. It's been about a third, uh, I think, of the projection last year. That's right. I mean, so, and when you count the costs of regulation, you're talking about a relatively small net benefit to the states for legalizing, at least so far. I think politicians in places like New Jersey and New York, where this, you know, for better or worse, a lot of people view this as a cash grab. They're saying to themselves, are we really going to raise that much money? And in, in New York, if we're going to raise $250 million, but we've promised $2 billion to various interest groups, is this, you know, does this actually help the budget at all? Yeah. Alex, thanks so much for coming by and, and sharing you. your, your point of view on this. We get a lot of cannabis bulls on, so it's important to get the other yeah. side of the story. Um, and, of course, you can catch uh, Alex's full article on MedMen specifically, but, you know, it's a statement about the broader industry, according to uh, his analysis, on CNBC.com. Now, we should note that we did reach out for MedMen for an official statement, and here's what they told CNBC. MedMen is building an industry that will continue to unlock significant investment opportunities as legalization advances. We have consistently executed on our strategy of increasing market share in the most important cannabis markets within the U.S. and remain focused on achieving long-term profitability. Alex, again, thank you. Alex Berenson. Uh, Tim. Well, a couple things to say here. First of all, I mean, Alex is bringing up also, if you want to get a little technical on this, Section 280E of the IRS code basically makes it impossible for these guys to make money. All right. So the big thing that people are hoping for is you get a banking deal, you get a safe act, you get the ability to actually not have punitive pricing because it's effectively what it is. So uh, the illicit market is alive and well. And frankly, I'd say that the industry really wants regulation. Of course, the industry does. In fact, the industry is, of course, wants to put the illicit market out of business. Alex talked quickly about the pricing um, of of cannabis as a crop, I think that's irrelevant. This is all about building brands. MedMen has built a brand. Now, I don't think that they're, they've got an enormous cash burn, and I think it's important people look at corporate governance, look how people are running their companies. That, that is one of his key points, and I, I couldn't agree more with that. So it sounds like a key point of the book is also the adverse um, health effects. I know that obviously one of the things, the medicinal aspect of it is really important, but you know the psychosis thing, you know, who knows? I haven't read the data. There's also a lot of other social things. You, know, you talk about that black market. You talk about you know, the impact of incarceration around the country. I mean, there's so many other levels here that I think there's a lot of states who really want to fix some serious societal problems, and I think they can do that you know, through legalization. So this is a train the genie's out of the bottle here it's happening and i know i don't need to convince you of that but i think there's a lot of other benefits that not just tax revenues that can come from this all right up next final trades trade, Tim. A lot of talk on transports. I'll reiterate, I am long FedEx, and I think it's a company to own for now and the future. Chairwoman. I could say the exact same thing, and I was going to, but then they said he had FedEx. But I have UPS. I'm long UPS as well. I like them both. It's a little more expensive, but a little cleaner right here. Dan. Yeah, Lyft, don't forget the top end of the initial range was 68 bucks. I think the stock finds some support here. It could be setting up for a short squeeze. You know, nobody likes to take their medicine, Mel, but, you know, sometimes it makes you feel better. Twitter took their medicine a month or so ago, and look where the stock is. Spoonful of sugar, guy. 
Thank that you. does it for us. Right. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.